Vancouver transformed into a war zone. Fires erupted in busy downtown intersections. Flames shot 30 feet into the air. Storefronts smashed by looters grabbing everything in sight as people dangled from light poles, while police in full force struggled to contain the crowd with tear gas. Two of their cruisers set ablaze. The city's mayor described the participants as hooligans. The reason for all of this chaos? A hockey game lost by the hometown Canucks to the visiting Boston Bruins. Rioting the unbeatable high. Adrenaline shoots your nerves to the sky. Everyone knows this town is gonna blow. Folks, welcome to another episode of Rocks and Fever. I am your host, Jackson McDonald. With me, as usual, as usual, it's the Australian. How are you guys doing this uh, week? I mean, it's been a while, but it's, it's been, been good. How's uh, how's it been volunteering up in Seashells? What? Uh, 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 I was trying to come up with a bit where you actually decided to go join and like suit up. Have you seen the news in Seashell lately? I have no idea, man. Oh my I... god, you're gonna love this. Okay, oh, no. The funniest type of scab ever. Basically, oh, you know about this, right? Now I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in Seashell, all the young people are not taking uh, food service jobs at all. Oh and yeah. The old people got so mad that all the restaurants are closing down. They decided to volunteer. At all the kitchens and at all the restaurants. That rocks. That's awesome. Good. They, Do that. They, <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, they're like straight up just like these seniors. Uh, I think they call themselves coasters. Yep. I guess Sunshine Coast. I'd never heard that one before. Yeah, I, I, have, I have friends. I have like old family friends that live in Seashell. So I know exactly. I used to go there all the time. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so they, they've like, uh, it's, a, it's a story that's been... Uh, going around everywhere yeah gold bc tweet uh which the ratio of quote tweets compared to retweets and likes <laughs> is hilarious uh faced with a shortage of workers a small army of seniors and seashells is volunteering to cover shifts at restaurants and other small businesses rather than see them close their doors because of a lack of workers and it's it's the sunshine coast old old guys uh suiting up and doing the till at all their favorite haunts um see this is great like i i i genuinely think there are some things where it's just like you know what fine good let them do that that's that's it's harmless i it's it 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 goes back to my uh my deep-seated political conviction that gated communities should exist but you just shouldn't be allowed to leave Right. Um, if you're going to gated community, you should be really gated. Yeah, just stay there. Great, perfect. Yeah, please. Gated you community. made your choice. Just stay in your gated community. Let the rest of us enjoy ourselves. <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, it's been a long, long time since we've recorded. Everything has happened in our personal lives, but luckily, not much really of interest has been happening hockey-wise. Which means it is finally time for us to tackle the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup riot, our long-awaited two-part episode on both the lead-up to the 2011 riot, the riot itself, and I, I said and both, all three of these things, and the aftermath. 
which uh, will be covered in the next episode because there's just so much interesting uh, material about the sort of media reaction to that that I felt it deserved its own episode. I just remember this whole night, uh, I uh, just being mad at Facebook. Uh, so beginning <laughs> a long tradition of being mad at Facebook, not because uh, people were saying good stuff about the riot, but because a lot of people who were like 12 years old uh, maturity level at least were like basically just navel gazing and like getting on their yeah. high horse criticizing the people about the riot i love a good facebook thing piece yeah like b- people who uh, i saw like eat glue in science class suddenly <laughs> decided to have a manifesto on facebook talking about how holier than now they were it, it was just really obnoxious like that made me more mad than anything that i saw at the riot uh which i was not a part of uh no no real no role no way shape or form but uh yeah that's uh i wish i could go back to the timeline somehow and see see what it looked like no i think i've already mentioned that i had the most pathetic game seven watching experience possible which was at the langley event center so yeah there's definitely no way that i was anywhere near the area <laughs> since we're apparently starting this off with denials <laughs> i was at my parents house at 110 <laughs> One, two, three, fake street. Uh, so my watching experience for game seven was I was at my parents' house in Parksville. We watched the game together. I left when it, w- when it was, uh, what was the final score of the game? Was it four, nothing Four nothing? Yeah. So I left when it was three, nothing went to my girlfriend's house and I'm pretty sure we had sex. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I did <laughs> instead of watching the third At what point? You oh, would so have been like already... 18 or 19. So yeah, that yeah. tracks. Yeah, like, I was here alone together. I was 18. Um, you guys had... just go to your girlfriend's house and have sex? I, look, oh, white people fucking... <laughs> ah, carry on. Yeah, I... I uh, yeah, I, I we were really just uh, allowed to run free out there. Um, Oceanside has, I believe, still the highest rate of teen pregnancy in uh, Canada. <laughs> I'm not certain though. Well, it's so beautiful by the ocean. It did, yeah, absolutely. It yeah, did at the time, anyways. That's for sure. It was a uh, yeah. It was it was not a great watching experience. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, great. This is what's <laughs> happening. So I left. Uh, it was the first time I ever took care of my mental health by unplugging from <laughs> media and particularly social media. Uh, the The whole thing just made me so angry that I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to look at any of this. And honestly, I've been reflecting uh, a lot recently on how in many ways I was actually smarter when I was 18 than I am now. The how Jackson is correct segment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Long tradition has begun. Uh, absolutely. Once again. We are drawing from a few different documents here. The primary ones for this episode will be the BC Prosecution Service's report on the 2011 Stanley Cup riot prosecutions. Um, and the second will be the independent review of the 2011 riot, which is written by John Furlong. Um, I think the the best thing to do before we get into the documents themselves is just to introduce a few characters. Chinese guy standing in front of the budget. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that starts. That <laughs> That's legendary. One. I really want to know what happened to that guy. Uh, he rocks. The hero of our story for sure. 
Yeah, he's definitely the hero, not the not the two people kissing. We're so tired of them. Oh yeah, I know. I'm, I'm making no judgment calls as to whether to support or reject any anything that happens. We're only talking about it in a narrative sense. Yeah, yes, this is all yes. a narrative. Yeah, no, this is all a narrative. I'm telling a story here. Uh, you can just decide. because someone's the protagonist doesn't mean that they're good. It's like Tony Soprano. Absolutely, yes. Because yeah, this is this is really an episode for the fans. Uh, because it's an episode about the fans in a sense. And so the the three characters that I want, preferably you, Vias, and yourself, Elliot, as well, if you, based on what you know, since you guys are actually from Vancouver and you have a better understanding of who these guys are than me, let's start by introducing John Furlong, the man who wrote the independent review of the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup rat. John Furlong is a boring old biddy. Yep. Uh, he... Uh... Uh, head of Vanock or some shit, which is already bad enough. Basically, this is an Irishman, the one bad Irishman. Uh, <laughs> he, okay, no, I don't, I'm trying to think of how to explain this best, but uh, if you have not followed the news lately and your only source of information is not just Sicaris and Price and sports <laughs> radio in general, uh, you would know that John Furlong, it came out in the early 2010s, uh, shortly after he had his famous run as then uh, president during the Vancouver Olympics. Something was left out of his bio uh, when his biography came out because uh, he be- became very quickly a legendary Canadian sports figure, uh, even though he was never yeah. an athlete or anything. But he was the one who in charge of everything. Yeah, he was the one who pretty much spearheaded the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. Another he, topic he that, that we will be exploring at some point i think because yeah the death of vancouver (laughs) yeah i'm inclined to agree the rest of british columbia as well uh it's uh it came out in his bio that he never mentioned how he actually did and also forgive me if i'm wrong i am currently playing shootout mode in nhl right now rock on but uh so in comments whatever feel free to correct but it came out that he did not mention when he actually came to Canada, or at least he fudged the the numbers on when he came to Canada, because he came much earlier in the 1970s as a teacher at a residential at a set of residential schools, uh, which are were were just prison camps. Uh, yeah, I heart, think heart of yeah. genocide. At this stage, uh, that's that should be pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, there, these these were not schools at all. Anyways, it came out that he was a teacher at multiple ones of them, and it came out because there was a set of students from across uh, multiple schools, uh, of former students or former prisoners, uh, who had many allegations of sexual assault. Uh, and that is was extremely commonplace at these institutions. And whatever you think about the allegations, uh, if you if you know much about what these institutions were like, and you know somebody was a teacher at one of these places in the 1970s, 80s. If you're thoughtful, you may, I would suggest you may be able to draw some conclusions about what kind of activities he was engaged in. And uh, Canada Land was one of the first uh, uh, mainstream news outlets uh, that came out with a, a long piece outlining what happened, also in the Georgia Strait, where I don't have the names in front of me of who uh, came out with this, what people in the media and what survivors came out with it. But we can include that in the uh, show notes as well. Sure. Yeah, we can we include links to some of these stories. Uh, he laid low for a while, but especially lately in the last few years, he uh, he's shown up in public a lot more. 
Uh, I know a couple, two or three years ago, he was speaking at a UBC event uh, that students uh, and faculty ended up being able to get together and prevent him from coming uh, to speak and canceled his uh, speaking engagement. But very quickly, enough donors got mad because public schools are not really public here. I uh, got mad at uh, the UBC president, whose name is Santa Ono. <laughs> that's sorry. Yeah, no, just I just a, needed to add that. Yeah, no, it's uh, just a funny name. That's all. That's all. <laughs> the thing you say when uh, you forgot to turn off your chimney <laughs> on Christmas Eve. <laughs> sorry. That was very good. That was extremely traumatic for me when I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways, uh, that's one example of how he ended up getting back at back in like donors got him a speaking gig back and he's never he never talks about this in public and then because the idea of the olympics coming back to vancouver in the in the near future has propped up he has basically been the main cheerleader for it uh because yeah because he wants to get another job (laughs) yeah he wants he wants another job um and sakaris and price and uh, many other radio shows in town have absolutely given him all the the radio space uh, and airtime and broadcast coverage that he that he wants. All kinds of outlets. I want to add to that too. Like uh, yeah. Sakaris and Price probably being the most notable, but he's everywhere all the time. And I did um, a, a person that will remain anonymous did message me uh, recently and saying, "Hey, thanks for publicizing this. We almost had him on." Because I didn't know, which oh, yeah. is shocking to me um, that that so few people in sports media know about a thing like that because it's it's genuinely important. Like I I know that I I understand that for people sports is an escape and it's allowed to be uh, sometimes, <laughs> but you also have to be aware when it's being used as propaganda. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a yeah. that's pr- a pretty clear example of uh, yeah. of when that's happened. So I, I would I would add that there was a story uh, earlier this month in the Tai by Amanda Fallot Husgood mentioning the first couple lines is Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has announced tentative dates for an inquiry into the RCMP's handling of abuse allegations by John Furlong, uh, starting in 2022. Uh, the alleged abuses took place more than 50 years ago. Were initially made public in a September 2012 article in the Georgia Strait by Laura Robinson uh, after he discovered discrepancies in his, uh, oh my God, his 2011 biography, Patriot Hearts. There's so many political biographies that are basically the title of it is just something from the national anthem. Uh, Goddamn. Anyways, this guy sucks. Yeah, yes, uh, agree. Uh, No citation needed for that. Anyways, um, moving on. Uh, what can you tell me about our second character, Vancouver Police Department Chief Jim Chu? That was the one thing I know about him. He's a Vancouver Police Chief. That's that's the one thing you know about him? Surely not. Dude, I lived in Langley at the time. <laughs> okay, fair enough. There's okay, one thing enough. that I learned about him fairly recently from you, Vias, that uh, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, VPD Police Chief, worked in VPD forever. Uh, and if you, and if anybody was a BPD police officer in the eighties and nineties, everything Robert Pickton did is also on these police officers hands. <laughs> Anyways, he wrote, rise up to police chief. And then when he retires after whatever term he sits, he, uh, he works for our friends, the Aquilini's as their spokesperson or like VP of something. 
Uh, let me pull it up really quickly. Am I going to open up his LinkedIn, this piece of shit? <laughs> yeah, fuck it. I'm watching you. Oh, <laughs> UBC at UBC. This is pointless. Okay, sorry. Yeah, he's a, he's the, it just says Jim Chu is the vice president at Aquilini Investment Group. Okay. He is the, the Aquilini Group. She's the vice president of the Aquilini Group. That is, yeah. And he is quite often their spokesperson. Yeah. And I mean, it's a big role of police chief that you, uh, you're the one speaking to the media. Uh, it's a, it's a big PR role and, uh, you know, you hire the best you can, uh, to be able to spew bullshit to the media and get it and get it absolutely eaten up. Uh, so you hired him too. And, and he was obviously police chief at the time of the riot. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a good, uh, a, a, a fairly decent summary. And then our third character, uh, that I think deserves just once again, a, a, a deeper, background information for the uninitiated is at the time Vancouver mayor Gregor Robertson Gregor Robertson Gregor Robertson uh two things I want to two things I want to get out there uh first of all I will always know him as the happy planet guy yeah that's that's uh that's probably his most famous thing after being mayor and then the uh the second thing was uh in the in what I consider to be the most legendary episode of real good show the uh uh, horse fucking episode. <laughs> Stefan made the joke where there was like someone was talking about uh, fucking a mare, as in a uh, a female horse, <laughs> and Stefan was like, "I want to fuck a mare too." Gregor <laughs> Robertson, hit me up. <laughs> I think there was also another story in Real Good Show where the soccer league that Stefan played in, and also yeah. Chris James would play in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They they sometimes played against Gregor Robertson, and I think Chris James got suspended because he kept harassing Gregor Robertson for yeah. for being a horrible mayor. Chris uh, James rocks. Chris James is so funny. You should check out not even a show. So, what can you tell me about his his tenure as mayor? Not that uh, not that we necessarily have to go into super super deep detail, but just for a general background, particularly for people who aren't from the area. He was he was the mayor who I mean he's not the one who put Vancouver on the map, but he was there while Vancouver was being put on the map from decisions in the past. Yeah. Basically, once Vancouver became a famous place, i.e., through the Olympics and and other things of trying to be the greenest city of trying to eliminate homelessness by like 2015 or something, uh, he was a very he was a very handsome mayor, tall and good with media, and it was one of the first times that uh, in a long time. That's a polished middle of the road party just owned city council for like 10 years. Um, they've, they've had a huge mark on Vancouver city politics and, and just the city in general for a very long time. He's he, a very, he's a very uh, sort. He's very much in the like Obama Clinton kind of mold of a, a smooth operator who doesn't really do uh, doesn't doesn't really seem to have any kind of ideology whatsoever. Like less less yeah. evil, less, less evil, evil certainly. Yes. Of, uh, well, yeah. It's not like he's allowed to do drone strikes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, he, but but more that like I I think he didn't know what else to do. Um, sure. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a malicious evil. I mean, but well, you could say it is malice, and I I absolutely hear that. Yeah. Totally. Uh, like everything he sat over, I don't know how much of his hands were on everything, but. I disagree with a lot of it. And, uh, but he was king of Vancouver for a very long time and, and they had a majority on council for a very long time. Usually Vancouver has either like a left left wing party in power that uh, in cope that 
uh, which hasn't happened for a very long time. Sorry. In retrospect, that name is really funny. Or, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. Uh, and or or the nonpartisan association, which is just the BC Liberals in Vancouver. Yeah. It's a right wing party, and they they've been the national governing party for so long. Uh, Gregor was an NDP MLA before mayor. Uh, he he was fighting against, like he got famous for fighting against the Canada Line, the way that it was being built, and basically, like he's a guy from North Van. He went to med school in the states. I think he quit got married, then got on a boat and like traveled the world for a while. And then randomly made friends with this uh, huge mega billionaire in Vancouver, Joel Solomon, who uh, helped them start Happy Planet and which obviously took off. It was in every, every store ever. Uh, for Still so long. is. Still is. I think he's not involved with it since he was mayor. Um, but then this, this is long winded, but, uh, but he, he was kind of bankrolled by, uh, by Joel Solomon, who the most powerful billionaire in Vancouver, which not a lot of people know about the, from the rubber made fortune. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. This is all coming back. He, great, uh, great. Oh, background. And then, and then uh, Gregor Robertson then married a uh, Chinese pop star. Uh, I think <laughs> named Wan Ting Lu. Uh, and, oh, yeah. uh, and that, yeah. that just became, the media loves to check one of the word one of the less intelligent criticisms of him i mean not to wade into van Pauly shit that yas and i probably don't agree with sure but like the dumber criticism of him is like the whole selling foreign condos overseas thing which is a thing that happens but is not the fucking problem yeah obviously him marrying a chinese pop star massively played into that (laughs) it's like the it's like the just trudeau happening to look like fidel castro thing where it's like you guys, this is not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Can you please criticize people for like actual stuff? Also, I think I've mentioned this before, but when people talk about, you know, oh, where was where was Fidel Castro when Justin Trudeau was born? I just need to know like what Liam Neeson and <laughs> and uh, Fidel Castro have been up to because those motherfuckers look exactly the same. They look wow. I'm sure that guy has been approached so many times. Also, I'm pretty sure we could distill any disagreements Elliot and I have about. Uh, Van Pauly is is that I'm just so black pilled that I think land reform is the only thing that will solve anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm too dumb to think about anything else. But I think it just comes down to like harm mitigation versus like yeah, the yeah, scale yeah. of I mean, harm mitigation because one thing is like a very direct small scale harm mitigation, one thing is mm-hmm. painful on the very small scale, but probably more harm mitigation. And then there's like the actual solution, which is you know completely out of reach because we're both black pilled. So, so uh, that's a preview of me and Elliot's uh, Van Pauly episode. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's going to be our hardball episode. So, uh, to begin, I just want to read uh, the preliminary sort of statements from the BC Prosecution Services report. One of the cases that the report cites is Regina versus Patillo. Vias, could you tell us anything about that? <laughs> Regina means the queen. Regina means the queen. And if you ever want to go between New Westminster and Surrey really quickly, you take the Patillo Bridge. The Patillo Bridge. (laughs) Right, of course. Why is this offense considered to be so serious? During a riot, the rule of law is suspended by virtue of the actions of the rioters. Citizens nearby and further afield cannot feel and indeed are not physically safe. The extraordinary call on emergency services of all kinds can result in there being no assistance available for anyone else in the community. Property of all sorts, locked and secured in the ordinary way, is not safe from the crowd. 
By sheer force of numbers, the rioters can break through any security device and loot and destroy it well. Participation in a riot includes a vast range of behaviors. A riot will only end when those involved do what they should have done in the first place. Stop and leave the area. As long as there are observers who, by their very presence, are encouraging the destruction, people watching, sometimes cheering, and frequently taking photographs, the riot will continue. Webster's Dictionary defines riot as a violent public disorder. Also, I'm, I actually don't know the answer to this, but I don't know. Like, the rule of law isn't suspended. It's suspended maybe to a degree. It's not like the War Measures Act is brought out. I think it means, like, the perception of the rule of law. Yeah. But, I mean, again, I, I do not want to talk about law things with a lawyer because I have seen Sam dunk on in the fools lately, too. Yeah. And I am also a fool, and I don't want to show ass here. I also think, like, the def- like maybe the operative word here is rule. Like, the law is not yes. in charge right now. And, like, random shit that is not lawful is happening. I don't know. In Regina versus Yates, the court stated, I wish to comment on two things. First, although I have only been presented with short excerpts of the videos of the riot, it is an enormous understatement to describe the scene of mayhem and gross public disorder as shocking. The crowd was composed almost entirely of young men and women, like Mr. Yates, who seemed to have completely lost sight of who they were, who the police were, that they were destroying the community in the neighborhood of downtown Vancouver. Second, is downtown a neighborhood? Yes. Well... Mm. We will okay. discuss. We, right. we will discuss the philosophical implications right. of that later. Does downtown deserve that the type of protection that a neighborhood would? I don't know, but well. <laughs> Second, it was enormously disturbing to see the crowd's behavior towards the Vancouver City Police. In all the scenes I viewed, the police were acting with the utmost restraint. I can only imagine how terrifying it must have been for them to be confronted by such an enormous howling mob of drunken young people. It would have taken considerable courage for all of the police, firefighters, and other emergency personnel to stand up to that malevolent crowd. Their conduct is a tribute to the high degree of their professionalism for which the entire city of Vancouver, and particularly the rioters themselves. Not that I think they should have been brave and whatever that would have meant here, but what if the cops are just pussies? (laughs) (laughs) Why is the judge assuming that? What what does the judge sound like if they're just... Like, who's to say, right? I've I've skipped over a lot of other things here, but another relevant uh, piece of information is about sorry what they essentially ended up using to compile all of the legal cases against the rioters, et cetera, et cetera. So. The integrated riot investigation team was inundated with information from the public. In the first week alone, police received 280 Crime Stoppers tips and 3,692 emails, including 53 emails with attached video, 708 emails with attached images, 676 emails with links to social media sites, and 1,355 emails with hyperlinks to social media sites. How many of those were from Nigerian princes? I do not know. (laughs) I love how this is the first riot that was com- entirely prosecuted over Facebook. <laughs> I would love to know how many people just like phoned in and emailed in just like false accusations about just people who are pissing oh, them man. off. Uh, that would have been such a strong <laughs> thing to do back then. Yeah. Like, such a power move if you have some sort of small, petty rivalry with someone else. I, I would not be surprised if that happened genuinely. Like that is like a swatting move. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I would not be surprised if like a bunch of fans basically got swatted for like calling some some guy like a dingus or whatever. Have you do you guys know what's uh the dirty.com? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that still around? I'm sure it's still around, uh, but that's the type of website that I'm sure people were posting stuff about uh, people being at the riot for that. Absolutely. Uh, and just trying to get it. I other. found a, I, I like remember finding a couple of uh, the dirty posts about like people I ended up knowing and being like, Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I have that too. Somebody, somebody I knew growing up was, uh, was on there. I wonder if, should I get one for my, for, for my friend's birthday? Yeah. Like, should I put them up on the dirty? Absolutely. I think that would be hilarious. I think that would be a great idea. Just a bunch of fake stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I even know how to explain the dirty.com, but anyways, move a, on. <laughs> a website specifically for targeted harassment. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook, but just targeted harassment. Anonymous targeted harassment. Yeah. Facebook, if it was only populated by like the people who accuse each other of like headphone theft and yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you that is so <laughs> in the end 284 accused ple- pleaded guilty 10 accused chose to go to trial nine of which were convicted and the crown entered a stay of proceedings terminating the prosecution against six accused because the branch's charge assessment standard was no longer met over 500 court days were required to complete the trials and sentencing hearings that's so fucked. That's so much. That's so much money. Absolutely. Hilarious. Like uh, there is a chance I was that just gonna ask you. the amount uh the amount Roughly of money equal. Of, of like destruction versus uh court days. I googled this. Yeah, it's, it's 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 <laughs> the there are multiple different and obviously inflation counts for something, but sure. from what I remember the damage was around was somewhere between five, like somewhere on the high end of between 500 and 600 million. So like around 580 million and the prosecution fees, the legal fees, et cetera, was like 500 million. That's very, funny. very, very, very funny. It, it, it almost, it, it almost demands a question. Like why, why uh, prosecute the charges? In the why even place? bother? Yeah. It's a question. It's a question. It is a question. It's a question. But I think if the cost is that much, that's a very fair question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking to save the taxpayer money. Exactly. You would think so. Do we need to subsidize the budget break and muffler? <laughs> it's like one of my more like my more favorite trolls, which is to be for police abolition from like a tax saving perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually what I do about the VPD is like, yeah, they should get their budget cut because everyone else had their budget cut. And then they tried to say no. So they should get like twice the budget cuts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which goes over really well because like people can't attack you for being an SJW. They're like, I I don't know what to say to this. <laughs> Which is of course the any the point of arguing any political thing. Yes, absolutely. Ninety four percent of the adult riot offenders received jail sentences. Forty seven percent received a jail sentence to be served in an institution, and forty seven percent received a jail sentence to be served in a community under a conditional sentence order. Well, look, look okay, yeah, a conditional sentence order is. Uh... It's it's not jail time, but if you break certain conditions, that is the risk that you face. So it would put you in it would it would for reaching that. likely put you in touch with some kind of parole officer or a, a person. You're such on as thin that. ice. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're on thin ice and and that is like courts don't want to put you in jail they would rather you abide by certain conditions yeah. because as before jail is expensive and we're just looking over the taxpayer here yeah if there's one thing roxy fever is known for it's caring about the taxpayer <laughs> patreon.com slash rocks of the youth riot offenders 19% received jail sentences 2% received a jail sentence in an institution and 17% received a jail sentence to be served in the community uh, under a deferred custody and supervision order so I know what that that makes perfect sense you're 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 in custody later that's deferred and you're under supervision that makes perfect sense yeah absolutely yeah, and they actually explain they actually explain that uh, a little bit <laughs> yeah, afterwards, but but that's that's fine. All right, so that brings us to the main event: the night the city became a stadium. An independent review of the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup riot. Now, one of the things that absolutely needs to be said here is that John Furlong is just fucking jerking off all over this. Uh, this this fucking title this just everything about it like he wrote this like it was oh a he's novel. having fun he thinks this he's is having a blast fun. writing this yeah he's got a huge smile on his face writing on his little computer like i'm surprised i'm surprised he didn't go like the day is june 11th 2011 <laughs> you know like it was a tale of one city yeah or like yeah <laughs> <laughs> It was the worst of times. Starting in, it was the worst of times. Uh, started just starting in media res or something, uh, <laughs> it, because it may as well be written that way. But uh, we the first four pages are weirdly in a sepia tone. <laughs> but I don't understand the you read so your whole vision just goes sepia. <laughs> I always thought the first sepia. four pages. The <laughs> the first four pages actually have to be read on a MySpace page where he plays old timey music in the background. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I I have condensed this to basically the things that I believe to be most relevant. There are some areas where I have summarized and other areas where it just wasn't worth it to detail every single timeline, like every single element of the timeline. Like how much does it really matter what time the budget break and muffler got set on fire versus the this? Uh, so there, there I, I do not. Okay. But if that wasn't such a keystone of the normal discussion of this, wouldn't you love it? Like a John boys documentary of the riot with focusing on when the budget break and muffler gets broken into. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. I would. Oh, yes. could you imagine like the Google Maps, like <laughs> the Google Maps zooming in and out and <laughs> zooming in and out? I do oh genuinely God. hope like Dorktown does a history of the Vancouver Canucks at some point. You should pitch it. Yeah, and and I, I totally would be down for like a side twenty seconds of like, and also here's the Van City Theater. Yeah, <laughs> where where Terrence Malick <laughs> retrospective was happening. Vancouver is a great city that has managed to get a lot of things right. It has clean and efficient regional transportation system, a large tech savvy and diverse cadre of young people. All young people are tech savvy. <laughs> and a downtown entertainment district that is lively and attractive with major sports venues nearby. Most cities in the world would happily trade their problems for Vancouver's if they could have these three strengths. What? I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's also... Translink is not terrible. Like, I know we complain about it, but it's having traveled, it's not bad. I don't know about the young people thing. Everyone else complains about downtown. 
shutting down too early. I think everyone stays up too late already, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have I, no conclusion on this. I thought people would talk about the mountains and the sea. I just look at this and think, yeah, absolutely. Like that's the thing that people should be jealous about. I look at everybody's everybody says like you can go golfing and you can go skiing in the same day. Yeah, which is cool. Like obviously that's cool. Uh, and one of the things, but one of the things that I, you know, when I see this, I just think like, ah, yes, what downtown doesn't have transportation, an entertainment district and sports venues, like and young, people. young people, like, it's just like, you just described every city mm-hmm. that night. However, these strengths combined to produce a bad result. A couple of thousand Canadians turned on the people who serve them every day, the police, firefighters, paramedics, and ordinary people behind counters. And this is this is really where where shit gets that gets interesting to me, because I think a lot of the arguments that uh, or a lot of the rather, I shouldn't say arguments, but a lot of the talking points that you're going to see here are going to feel very familiar. Our review is part of the process of restoration that began in the early morning of June 16th, when in a show of amazing, heartwarming generosity, crowds of citizens from all over the region converged downtown, some armed with brooms and cleaning supplies. It was a spontaneous effort to work alongside civic authorities to clean up after the Stanley Cup riot. But it was more than that. It was a rebuke to instigators, a repudiation of those who cheered them on, and the symbolic reclamation of the public space. They were heroes, and they acted for the millions who love Vancouver. Now, we will get to the details on that later. So I I think we can just save our Because I have complicated thoughts on this, but I'm glad we're going to save it for later. If you went downtown the next day to clean up, you're you're a dweeb sorry yes yeah i i agree it doesn't i don't i'm not saying you're you're uh, a dweeb is a perfect word you're not bad you're not a bad person you're just a dweeb yeah you're you're the kind of you're the kind of person who like you know you bring a coffee for the teacher before you show up yes that doesn't mean that you're a bad person it just means you're the kind of person who does that my friend who went to clean up is literally that person. <laughs> <laughs> she literally bought a coffee for our professor like earlier that semester. The long rainy season is over and daytime temperatures are now starting to touch 20 degrees. The warm ocean breezes of late spring. I'm not shitting you. This is how it's written. Yeah. The warm ocean breezes of late spring may seem to some to carry an added note. Something special. <laughs> one writer, one writer in the Vancouver sun tries to put a finger on what is going on. I swear to God, if this is Douglas Todd. Sikh Gurdwaras and Catholic churches are going gaga. Filipino grannies are swapping statistics with white skateboarders. South Asian professors are sharing game analyses with Chinese executives. <laughs> the first three were pretty funny, but but <laughs> something about Chinese executives. Was, I don't know why that was that was funny. It's it's not that like can they be ones, but like that these two groups are just meeting in, in parks. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just sort of funny because it's like, why are we, I, I don't know. It's definitely it. A lot of this stuff definitely feels, you know, lightly uh, stereotyping. It's lightly. Well, oh, I, to me, to me less. So it's more that it just, he's painting the beginning of like a Disney, like right at the beginning of like a Disney movie 
right when they're about the town is about to erupt in song at the beginning. No, I was gonna say it's like the third act of a Mighty Ducks movie when like the whole town's <laughs> rallying behind the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. What if we? But, but honestly, what if we though, recast? What if we recast Les Miser or rewrote Les Miserables to be about the riot? <laughs> Do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? That would be great. Um. Why, why did we do this episode? We should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, like remembering the time at uh, the atmosphere was pretty accurate there. Like, oh, for sure. My my friends' grand grandparents were getting Canucks jerseys. People who were, were were never that excited about about hockey right up until that year, and like for good reason. Like uh, our stance is bandwagoning is smart and good uh yeah it's absolutely the right thing you to mean do. you can enjoy it when the team is good and not pay attention when they're bad yeah and and it's called self-care these like immigrant grandparents were just getting in on the canucks and it was pretty beautiful to see how many people had jerseys and just how many people everybody it was beautiful that everybody could talk about the same thing with a big smile on their face and it's funny you you mentioned that because the next the next section here refers to pretty much exactly what you're talking about. The city has gone Canucks crazy. Traditional hardcore hockey fans are outnumbered by cheerful dilettantes. Good. (laughs) Yet there is also an edge to the euphoria. The morning papers carry stories with headlines like no reason to expect repeat of 94. They were asking for it. Fan nerves high at at cups finale and Vancouver's faithful can't shake the ghosts of playoffs past. I remember I, I I was speaking to a friend of mine who was one of those people who watched the game despite he was like he was like I'm pretty sure it was the only hockey game I ever watched and he was like man people really thought they were going to win it was so obvious that they weren't going to win <laughs> and I was like uh, yeah maybe and he was like and then they thought they weren't going to riot it was so obvious <laughs> that they were going to riot <laughs> uh, anyways I think I think a riot of sorts was going to happen anyways. I, that's just, I just, assume I mean, I think we're coming happen. to the ending here, but I mean, yeah, after 94, there was no chance that this was. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I accidentally shared this with Vias ahead of time and I didn't mean to, cause I really wanted it to be a surprise, but Elliot, I know that you have not seen this. So luckily I'll at least get the response Uh, from you or the live react from you. So for what seems like days now, playoff segments on a local radio station generally known for its high-minded appeal have been preceded by a clip from the 2009 dance anthem, I Got a Feeling. I hate that song so much. I This is, I am like back in my high school classroom in 2011 hearing this. It's, I can see it clear as day. I mean, on the other hand, like I cannot imagine a song that's probably more effective for me at like just random time travel. Absolutely. Now, yeah, yeah. I have to say, should, I am sh- not making this up. I'm shitting you not. I am shitting you not. The catchy chorus, chorus used in the intro runs as follows. I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. Woohoo in brackets times four. <laughs> That's in the text. It's, it's in so the text. Funny. He literally just copy pasted it from like songmeetings.com and kept the <laughs> kept the fucking like 
Oh my god. AZ lyrics. In this chorus, Will I Am is saying that he might have a good night tonight. Will I Am was saying, let's get our Never mind. <laughs> Yeah. Could you imagine <laughs> if that song? You could say they got R R worded. Uh, uh, anyone inspired to listen to the whole song would be able to enjoy celebratory sentiments such as let's paint the town, we'll shut it down, let's burn the roof, and then we'll do it again. Uh, but the black eyed peas are talking about going clubbing the fact is apart from the large numbers of inebriated fans downtown the playoffs have brought out the best in the city um (laughs) he's having so much fun like you're usually supposed to give these guys senator seats Yes. I, I mean, in the Canadian Senate, not season tickets to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, <laughs> a more fitting punishment. So he goes on to uh, sort of describe the more of the scene around the beginning of the festivities downtown. For those of you that uh, don't know, there were these things called uh, called what were they called live sites or, or was it the, just the one thing that was called the live site? Do you remember that? I think it was just the one, but I'm not sure. Okay. There, but, there was the one big one. Yeah. But li- then, yeah like, the live site was the one big one, but then some places would, would still like, like I remember the convention center, uh, the old yeah. one at least would have a big screen outside playing, playing it too. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, there was at the, the, when he refers to the live site, he's talking about, the kind of thing that, you know, if you remember when the when the Raptors won the NBA championship, like there's always yeah, a place like downtown Park. where. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It wasn't cordoned off at all. It was just like a huge screen right outside the CBC uh, Vancouver studios. The fences at the live site are now mostly down or being removed. Large crowds are in motion around the area. There is report of a mosh pit, a sort of dancing in which concert goers body slam one another. <laughs> Thanks, you did not need to explain that to me. But no such gathering can be confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't he say that about the whole like South Asian professors and Chinese executives? I, I needed knows. a citation for that. Reports of a small cluster of masked men in the crowd are called into the e-com. By 525, more squads are redirected to the vicinity from elsewhere downtown. At 555, a five-man fight breaks out Inside the fan zone at Georgia and Homer steps up from budget rent a car just outside the site where 35 youths can now be seen up on the roof. Agency staff are now worried about a collapse. Police decide the most that can be done is to inform the climbers of the hazard. The police helicopter, Air One, is asked to fly over the site. Elsewhere, food vendor trailers parked in front of the post office are being damaged and concerns develop that various construction materials at a building site on Granville Street could be used as projectiles. During the first period here, I have, uh, once again, just summarizing some things. The fire department asks for police help with evacuating the budget break and muffler roof, (laughs) which is now being, uh, I I can't quite remember whether it it had been like, uh, whether violence had been directed towards it yet, but a bunch of people were clearly on the roof by this point. Despite the growing signs of trouble, SkyTrain remains at crush load. Translink will record up to 200,000 more riders today than usual. An ambulance is called to the live site because somebody is injured. VPD officers try to escort the vehicle in. During the second period, city staff, city staff scramble to reposition news boxes at Dunsmuir and Hamilton, north of the live site. 
That one, that one made me laugh. Just imagining somebody who, like, one of the, the city priorities <laughs> here. <laughs> the city clerk gets like called. <laughs> you need to go move some newspaper boxes. <laughs> yeah, someone might break the box that has the uh, sing how dare or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. someone might steal all the copies of the free papers that we give out. Earlier in the day, potential projectiles were removed from at least 25 blocks in the city center along Granville, Ro- Granville, Robson, and Georgia. Bus shelter roofs have also been removed along Granville. By 737, many people are being thrown out of Rogers Arena and a fire alarm is activated inside. More large-scale fighting erupts outside. Firefighters who want to send rigs into the live site are told they would have trouble getting in. During the third period, we are now at the time. Once again, I'm I'm glossing over some of the the, the specific timelines because I'm I, I'm just not sure how interesting it it is. But we are now at the point in the dock where it is the third period uh, after the fourth goal. Ambulances are requested to deal with an unconscious fight victim at Library Square, and a reported spine injury at Homer and Dunsmere. The Canucks goal is empty, and as the home team adds a man to launch their final rally, the first vehicle is flipped over in front of Canada Post. Fights are happening everywhere. Then the game is over. Final score, Boston 4, Vancouver 0. So I'm going to take a pause here and just ask you guys, what do you remember about this, and how did you feel when it happened? Uh, I think just the basic response of like, well, this has gotten worse somehow. Was was just all over me and my family's faces. Like, I think we we didn't want to watch at that point. We weren't interested in what was happening at the riot. Uh, but and so I think we switched the channel. I think my dad put on like Jay Leno or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dad's do be putting on Jay Leno. Yeah, uh, something to soothe the soul. Heard about this, folks? Uh, and uh, but then I think I was on Facebook and seeing seeing these people getting mad and be like, oh, you should turn the TV on, see what's going on. And and so honestly, I was most interested in looking for like, hey, are any of my friends on TV? <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's funny because like the day after, there was like one couple who was like fighting uh, in like the high school, like in front of the high school doors because like the boyfriend went to the riot and lied to his girlfriend. Oh, I thought even they were fighting on Facebook. I was going to say, I miss people like I miss couples fighting on Facebook. That doesn't happen nearly enough anymore. That was great. But I saw this couple where like the, the, the guy told the girl uh, that he wasn't going to go to the riot or go, go to watch the game downtown, but he was absolutely like rioting with everybody else. And she found out because couples she saw fighting on Facebook or something. was so good. Uh, I, I, I kind of miss that. I wish it, it doesn't really happen anymore. It's more like your third cousin now. You know, it's like it's always distant, distant relatives or whatever. But uh, yeah, the, the best thing you can ask for is uh, like local neighborhood Facebook groups. Oh, that's where yeah. you get some fun. That's where some people like emergency happening uh, and somebody gets mad about somebody else. Somebody lawn. somebody called the cops because like their dog like crapped on the wrong like someone's dog crapped on the wrong lawn or whatever yeah it's great yeah yeah no see yes i think i had like a very similar but aged up three years experience because i was with i watched the game with like four people from my high school that i hadn't mm-hmm. spoken to since high school ended three years earlier like wow. i talked to right. once <laughs> and so it was just like yeah i'm never talking to you guys again <laughs> after, after this game no you've absolutely cursed it all 
At 746, a Twitter user with the handle Marimo tweets. Okay, I hope... Give us the ad, not the handle that they can change. Get ready for a riot, Vancouver. I mean, using using the handle is probably a lot more ethical than using the at. In Fair f- enough. Fairness. Yeah. Bottles fly toward the blank screen. A planned post-game segment is canceled to encourage the crowd to leave. Media report that people are burning Bruins flags and jerseys, shouting Hell fuck yeah. boss. Where did you get them? <laughs> and there are signs reading Riot 2011. It is just funny to me that people burned like Bruins flags. That's just funny to me. I don't know. It is very much like burning the Nikes thing because like you would have had to buy them. Yeah, exactly. I, I would be, I'm totally the type of guy who would do that. I would totally spend 200 bucks. Uh, not now. Unless, I mean, if it was 2011 again, I probably would actually. <laughs> yeah, I I would be that guy. I would absolutely be that guy. Yeah, or I would buy like the Walmart versions, you know? Yeah. The ones that are also hoodies for some reason. You know what that is. People are throwing things at the flipped vehicle, jumping on it, striking it with objects that have come to hand. More vehicles are turned over. Garbage can fires are set and fireworks are shot at the big screens. At 7.57, the flipped vehicle at Canada the Post is in flames. At 8.26... A police negotiator using a long-range acoustical device reads the riot act by playing a pre-recorded message loop informing citizens they are taking part in an unlawful assembly and have 10 minutes to leave the area. The device is also used to warn the crowd more than three dozen times that chemical agents will be used. I love I like that uh that little uh they were they were warned more than three dozen times that there would be tear gas. I don't know what kind of equipment they have now. Uh, I would be horrified to hear what type of anti-riot gear that they have now. <laughs> no uh, kidding. Because I'm sure that they spent a ton of money uh, after this. So that it could never happen well, again. Well, this is going to be something we're going to talk about during the debrief. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll save it for part but two. Yeah. I'm sure they have some fun new toys. In the city center, much of the crowd is completely out of hand and directing more hostilities, including Molotov cocktails at authorities. In the end, police report the Russians were involved. <laughs> what if it was actually a Russian op? I don't remember Molotov. <laughs> Did he play for the Red Wings? <laughs> I mean, probably. In the end, police report five of their vehicles are write-offs, including three that are burned. A transit officer is hurt when a pepper spray canister explodes during the arrest of a looter. And moments later, an officer is reported. Wait, who is pepper <laughs> spray can? <laughs> who is pepper spray canister? <laughs> And moments later, an officer is reported down after being hit by a projectile. A second front opens up. Speaking of Molotov. A second front opens. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Molotov, a second front opens up in the entertainment district (laughs) where barricades are being launched into the air at Nelson and Granville. The RCMP members there are surrounded by a hostile crowd. Barricades are being launched into the air. I don't even know what that means. Um, I, I guess like police are trying to make like make sure barricades and parts of it get gets thrown. But I guess that, that's the only thing that makes sense. Nelson and Granville. Hmm. This stretch far. I would like to see this mapped out. Actually, I would do. I would. Uh, I would do the John Boaz thing of like uh, photos of like Google Maps, basically uh, for like some of my work I did at the city. Actually. Like when I do social media showing up, like talking about like a public uh, input thing for a new development, I would like just take the Google Maps screenshot or like 
Google Earth like 3D view. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll figure this out. High level decisions are made to close bridges into downtown and Coast Mountain bus executives prepare to trigger a plan to remove buses and staff from downtown. Tactical squads are now sufficiently set up to mobilize inside the conflict zone that Georgia and Seymour has become. They announce their arrival by throwing up a smokescreen. The GED appears to be a point of riot ignition in its own right. The effective tear gas deployed at Granville and Nelson half an hour earlier has been to push the crowd north. Soon, the police officers there are surrounded by a hostile crowd. Yeah, no shit. God damn it. Within a short <laughs> time, the police managed to regain control of this patch and disperse the crowd south away from the riot. St. Paul's Hospital prepares from 920 to operate under its mass casualty procedures known as Code Orange. As staff run through procedures to secure the hospital and prepare to treat numbers of emergency patients, television is reporting by 930 that there is already a station set up outside for tear gas and pepper spray decontamination. The hospital is also treating lacerations, stabbing victims and broken bones. Vancouver General Hospital Hospital further from the action is also prepared to treat riot related injuries. Something that I find really interesting about all of this stuff is that it's it, it's sort of, it almost seems to imply that like the rioters pepper sprayed and tear gassed themselves, which mm-hmm. is like really mm-hmm. strange. And when, whenever like people are like, Oh, this many people were hospitalized. Like I'm not saying there weren't rioters that like stabbed people. I, I like, I'm sure that didn't like I'm not saying I know I know why it happened. I'm just saying like, yeah, if somebody came to the hospital and was a stabbing victim, like I'm sure that happened. But like how how many of the these injuries are just from tear gas and pepper spray? It is a piece of sleight of hand that has been used in the past where it's just like this many injuries happened, but then you're the one who did them. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 always that um kind of uh passive, passive the, the sudden use of passive voice where where it's like oh uh this many people were injured a pepper sk- spray can exploded it doesn't say whose it was you know i'm trying to i've just been trying to think of like what what i remember people bringing to it and that were discussed and i'm less convinced that riders brought pepper spray but i mean yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I'm be surprised if a like couple people, people bring did. stuff to break windows and shit like that, but yeah. and cause fire. But I mean, I I'm a little naive, but I wouldn't expect it as much. But maybe maybe somebody brings. I it. mean, I have been at a bar and then left five minutes before everyone in the bar got pepper sprayed. Yeah, yep. so like it does happen. And this is also this is another context. Is this is in the middle or? Maybe a year removed from a very vicious gang war yeah. across the yeah, city. That's true. That like I wouldn't put it past some people. Like this stuff was in the air a little bit more back yeah, then. Absolutely. That's that's entirely true. Like there were huge gang wars happening uh in and around this time in Vancouver. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people who were involved in that sort of stuff were also involved in this. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by any means. Or just using the cover of chaos to like do the stuff that you would do anyways. Well, that's more what... That's, I'm sure that's what... Yeah, that's what you meant. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's less that it's like targeted, like some of these people are part of gangs. It's more that like that type of shit was not uh, unheard of happening. And like the spirit was in the air of fucking around. <laughs> Uh, and so plenty of people who are not part of gangs are absolutely like, uh, 
wanted wanted to taste it a little bit and 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 just get involved in something dirty like that because uh, what else is there to do for for a lot of people and not not to rip on them nope just what 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 else yeah what else were you gonna do i remember being uh i remember being a young 20 or uh, a young 18 year old man when uh when this happened and i remember what uh other i remember what my peers were like and it definitely wouldn't have surprised me you know how like older teenagers will still go around like usually usually boys like will still go around Hall- halloween like later at night just yeah. to cause shit absolutely well when the whole city is coming together at one square this is like halloween times 40 i definitely i definitely egged a house on halloween yeah yeah and so this is just like the whole world is watching. Wouldn't it be funny if we did some shit yeah. and you go with your buddies and then you're on the front page. Thank you for son. Nobody, nobody plans this. It's just, you want to get on the action. Peer pressure is involved as well. Absolutely. There's a culture of uh, violence and, and, and uh, chaos going around in the city that I speak a lot more about, but it was a bit of a different time in 2010. Hospital staff are ready for a bad night. And early reports say a stabbing victim is moving in and out of consciousness at Richards and Robson. A young man has fallen off the viaduct. In fact, there are relatively few serious injuries, and most are young drunk men who have been in fights. Uh, several people were hurt trying to protect stores from rioters. Play stupid we'll games, to- win stupid prizes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we- the people the people who went to go clean the next day should beat up those people. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, uh, UFC fighting for those people. Yeah. Um, VGH admits a fall victim in critical condition, but the incident was not riot related uh, in the police lockup. Nurses treat up to 120 detainees for various minor injuries, cuts, scrapes, bruises, lacerations, and even broken ribs caused by intoxication or other factors, not police actions. I definitely believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's it's once again, it's just interesting when. You'll you'll make it clear it wasn't police actions, but then when it could have possibly been police actions, it's just oh this thing this this happened. Who's to say? It's all it's it's also just like a busy night in Vancouver, and uh, yeah, other stuff is happening. Like have you seen have you seen like St. Paul's the ER ward on a Tuesday night, uh, a random Tuesday night? You'll know what I'm talking about. Between 10 and 11 p.m., the crowd is widely dispersed and fires are burning as far away as Hornby. Now the, now the focus is looting, less vandalism and fighting. Two of the city's principal department stores have now been breached. <laughs> they breached the bay. At the bay, which rioters have already had, have already infiltrated. Infiltrated is a great word. Sir, they've gotten into the top shop. <laughs> Another car is set on fire and young men perform risky antics on and around it. It's really a shame they're a bottom shop. Uh, risky antics on and around it is such a good sentence. At 1011, the windows at London Drugs across the street are reported smashed and the store infiltrated. Wow, we're just... I, lo- I love this so much, just the technical language. like. So a John Boyce documentary would be fun, but also a Ken Burns documentary would be fun. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you could mix up the two or mix in the two. Keith two. David narrating this would rock so much. Elliot, when you got married, did you have to go to that London drug to get a license? Yes. <laughs> so this is a thing, right? Well, okay, like, not I that London drugs. 
Oh, okay. I heard that like that London Drugs for a while was like the only place you could go to get the certain form filled. Yeah, we went to the one that was on like Broadway somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Broadway can't be one, or maybe Kits, but yeah. Yeah, Broadway can't be. Yeah. Why does London? Why does the, the, I don't the, understand? The, why do you have to buy a marriage license at London Drugs? It's very confusing. A television report says rioters, those quote ingenious alchemists of criminology literature <laughs> labored for two hours to smash the glass doors and security gate. And now 200 people are making off with prizes of Pringles, umbrellas, cosmetics, laptops, and cameras. Yeah. I mean, if you're really a ingenious bad. alchemist, it wouldn't take you two hours to smash a glass door, but that's fine. I think it was being sarcastic. One minute later, unconfirmed reports are coming in that fires are being set inside the bay. Windows along the store's perimeter are smashed. Staff and Good Samaritans fail to discourage the mob from entering and looters stream out with merchandise. Now, I, I'm sure this was very like genuinely scary for anyone who was working there at the time. But like, how do you not just leave at that moment? Why were they being asked to work that late at night uh, on, on the that that night? Yeah, that's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. Also, the Bay's history of col- in involvement in <laughs> colonialism. I who's to say that they weren't asking for it? The 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 company. I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah, this the is people who were not being paid nearly enough to deal with this were not pay- being paid nearly enough to deal with this. They're the ones who should have got the proceedings from whatever. Anyways, police dogs are brought in at Burrard. By ten thirty, the worst seems to be over. Large crowds are tracked around downtown for another ninety minutes. The RCMP tactical troop heads back to their buses shortly before midnight. By 11, citizen volunteers are organizing to help. At half past the hour, it is safe enough for street flushers and cleaners to clean Georgia as far as Seymour. The tear gassing continues. Windows continue to be broken at Sears as late as 1139. But by then, the the riot is deflating quickly. One thing I want to add here, just so that our, uh, our irony doesn't get in the way here. There were volunteers helping people who were injured and those people are heroes anyone yeah. who anyone yeah. who ran to go help people who were hurt is a hero and i don't want to like i i'm we're gonna make fun of a lot of people here but i i paramedics firefighters people helping the injured and and etc cetera, etc cetera, regardless of how they got injured are clearly heroes and deserved all of the fucking the same shit with the it's like 9-11 firefighters like yeah the 9-11 firefighters were good does that mean that uh, everything that happened because of the 9-11 firefighters was good? No, but regardless. Uh, The last major incident of the night comes when windows are broken at SFU's Hastings Street campus shortly before midnight. Shortly after midnight, a police squad moves through the Granville Entertainment Strip, closing down bars. Police units are progressively stood down. And after Air One reports at 1232 that no hotspots can be seen from above, contractors are arriving with plywood to begin boarding up the smashed storefronts. What if it was the contractors who started this? <laughs> Again, a question I'm asking. Glass salesman? Or window salesman? It was the Glaciers Union. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, the riot ends roughly four hours after the reading of the Riot Act. I'm going to add the Riot Act to my Goodreads account. At this point, we get to the police planning element. So I think what I will do is just pol- just go through the police planning section of the independent review and then we will end there because the that creates a nice uh sure ending point for the sort of in and outs of the riot itself 
And then that will allow us to talk about the other stuff. Sure. The reaction, et cetera, et cetera, in part two. So there were 446 police officers assigned to police game seven. That includes an RCMP tactical troop and 12 members drawn from other municipal police services in the region. It also includes one of the regular police patrols that is often used to focus on special priorities. On this night, they were assigned to hockey-related duties such as alcohol interdiction at stations inside the city. The number does not include the other regular patrols, even the regular downtown patrol, or an RCMP tactical troop that was on duty in Surrey but was available to Vancouver and did not, in fact, deploy to Vancouver. By the end of the night, a total of 928 officers were directed at the riot. I'm actually quite curious about what the planning was for Surrey at that time because, like, Scott and 72nd is a huge spot for post-series celebrations or like post-game celebrations? Uh, well, one of the one of the things that was uh, mentioned in the aftermath of the riot was that there wasn't nearly enough consideration for kind of what would be going on in greater Vancouver. Yeah. What's happening at the Langley Event Center? Who's going to who's going to stop Elliot Hoyt from uh, <laughs> taking his top off? So under the subheading comparable numbers here, we have a little bit of information about the 2010 Olympics and how that compared in terms of police presence. Mm. How does this compare with the number of police officers specifically assigned to the men's gold medal game? The potential for confusion with numbers increases exponentially when comparing any event to the Olympics. Direct parallel is not possible. There were approximately... 5,700 police officers to guard the Olympics. In an extreme emergency, they would all theoretically be available, but at any given time, half of those officers would be off duty. So that leaves 2,850 available for deployment. A number would be at Whistler and several hundred more would be securing a variety of Olympic venues in and around Vancouver. They could not leave those venues and were therefore unavailable for policing the public areas around the hockey game. The comparison is of limited value because the Overall police presence during the Olympics had been firmly planted in people's minds. However, the assertion that there were fewer police assigned to Game 7 than the gold medal game in 2010 is not accurate. A more direct comparison is 1994. According to the 1994 Police Commission report on June 14, 1994, there were between 40,000 and 70,000 people and 200 regular police members and 60 reservists, 28 in downtown Vancouver as the game ended. When the riot started, the reservists were withdrawn. By the end of the riot, the total police involved stood at 500. Now, the 94 riot is its own thing. Yeah, we, we got to get to that later. Which I don't think any of us know anything about, considering we were between one and four years old. Yeah, we got to get Garth. We got to get a few few voices to regale Gen- us. About. Genuinely fascinating. Would love to talk to people about that and intend to at some point, because the 94 riot is uh, fascinating on a number of levels. Much more interesting. Much, much more interesting because of what was kind of going on in the city at that time. And um, I think much more of a canary in the coal mine for what would go on in the city later on than even the 2011 riot was. I'd also, by the way, add about the comparison with the Olympics that the Olympics uh, imposes so many weird rules on hosts. Yep. Uh, and also you would get a lot of your funding covered by by other jurisdictions uh, on top of the IOC, maybe uh, I'm assuming, but y- y- like the city of Vancouver and just regional police, probably I think funding may have been an issue 
for yeah. that. They they were they didn't want to spend as much money, mm-hmm. and also they weren't there wasn't the same kind of uh, rules uh, forcing them to have a certain amount of police around. Like I I'm basically assuming the IOC is like you can't hold an event unless you have this certain number of police. Yeah, uh, I think that's or whatever. Accurate. I think that's the, the something along the lines of that. I think might be a factor. I could see that for sure. But the, uh, so by the end of the riot, the total police involved stood at 500, but the 200 regular officers included the downtown patrol, which the 2011 number of 446 does not. When Chicago held a downtown victory parade in 2009 to celebrate the Blackhawk Stanley Cup victory, 450 officers and 20 horses <laughs> policed <laughs> a crowd of 1.2 million people. We conclude the number of police identified in VPD's plan was appropriate given the threat level identified. Beginning in 2006, the VPD began a major shift in its approach to crowd management. With the creation of a full-time coordinator for the CCU, the unit recognized a need for further change. One of the key strategies in this new model of crowd management is that of the meet and greet. Familiar now to all Vancouverites, the new meet and greet approach is a simple concept. Smile, engage the community, be positive, have early interaction with crowds and lineups, Hold an M4A1 <laughs> and asks police to start enjoying their patrol time. So uh, that concludes the timeline of the riots and the role of the police element of, of uh, this story. Hopefully it wasn't too dry and there wasn't too much reading. I genuinely did want to do more summarizing here, but my God, life is just insane right now. So uh, I apologize for that. But um, obviously, no we will necessary. return to this topic on the next episode when we discuss aftermath and particularly the media coverage of the aftermath. But uh, before we sign off, do you guys have any final observations that uh, should not be saved for part two? Look, I'm just—I was going to say this for part two, but I think I just want to head off any potential criticism. Absolutely. Which is that, I'm sorry, Jackson, but the riot was not bad is an edgelord opinion. Of course. <laughs> However, <laughs> if you want to whine that we're downplaying how bad the riot was, I want you to think about every single day in this province. Because every single day in this province is literally worse than the riot. Because, what, one person died during the riot? And even then, that wasn't even really linked. Yeah. If you could change one thing with Vancouver's history, would you really waste on the riot? Because every day, like, you know, 20 people die from our drug poisoning epidemic. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's so many things you could pick instead that just, like, come on, this does not matter in any real material way. Mm -hmm. It's not a scourge on the city. It's not a black mark on the city. No, exactly. It's not the the horrible moment of inquiry history you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, even just along that line, if you think riots are bad, like, the 94 one is probably a lot worse as we're going to get into. (laughs) Almost undeniably, yeah. Like... As we'll show later. The 94 riot was was worse, uh, both from a like actual rioter perspective and from a police perspective. Yeah. But but Elliot's raises a great point. It's a good perspective because our point isn't that we actually support this stuff. That is not that, that is nowhere near the truth. It, it's no. that we are annoyed by the same elite opinion uh, drivers and uh, and people like John Furlong, for fuck's sake using it as a way to get on their high horse yeah. uh, when ab- so many worse things are absolutely ignored. So sometimes when something bad happens that pales in comparison to the much worse things that happen, but the other things that get ignored, 
parts of us want to joke about actually this one bad thing is good uh, yes, because look, we're, we're fucking pissed off and rightfully so. And, and I'm so glad, Elliot, you brought that up. Obviously, we will uh, we will return to a lot of these things. But yes, I think Elliot's point remains the most salient, which is that ultimately less people died in this riot, in this fucking riot, than than die in downtown Vancouver like any any day. So yeah. it, it all the hand wringing is can, can become a lot to take uh, because it's just it's so it is so to me uh, indicative of a mindset that is that seems to have completely taken over every aspect of modern life now, which is the the symbolic uh, gesture or the symbolic victory or failure. And um, as a as a symbol, the Vancouver riot is is tremendously powerful for a number of different reasons. But from an actual material reality perspective, it was a joke. It's no tragedy to me. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, small potatoes, yeah. small potatoes. So I look forward to returning to this topic uh, on our next episode, which will hopefully be out actually uh, quite soon after the first, because we are yeah, ready and, to get also, back into the into the uh, the swing of things. Yeah, yeah, a couple of weeks after that, training camp will begin. We're probably going to have a chance to check out what's happening in Abbotsford, maybe. Um, we'll, we'll actually have stuff to talk about. Absolutely. And I can't wait. So in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at McDonald's. You can request to follow me at Vyasaran. And you can follow me at Muskayak. I, you're, you're getting... You're you're much smarter than me, Vias. I'm I'm starting to get so many like bots that are like a little disturbing, honestly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> really, yeah. Well, if anybody's curious about the request thing, I mean, like the the only reason I I uh, locked my account, like the main reason should have been mental health, but sure. The reason was what happened to Harshawalia. Um, yeah. Realizing that's how quickly, if somebody doesn't like you, they can ruin your life. Yeah, and exactly. uh, decided to just mitigate it a little bit. Yep, absolutely. I think that's entirely fair. Um, yeah. Uh, don't forget to follow the pod at Roxy Fever and subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Roxy Fever. I feel very strongly about the episode I did last month. I want to do more content like that in the future. I am working on doing more content like that in the future. Uh, I'm also very excited to talk about a very fun topic from Canucks history with Georgia twists later this week for the Patreon. So please stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening and send your hate mail to everyone that I mentioned in this episode, but particularly John Furlong. You can always do that. Always. All right. Thanks guys. Good night, everybody. Take care.